I wonder if you've been enjoying the weather recently. Um, it's been pretty pretty good, especially if you've got a garden, to be out in the sunshine and, and enjoying that. Well, I've got pretty pale skin, so I try not to stay out for too long. Um, but one of my favourite things about good weather is that the sky clears at night and you can see stars um, all over the place. It's just a beautiful sight, isn't it? When you go out maybe to put the bins out at night or to put the kids' bikes back in the garage and you just look up and you can see well, the last couple of uh, couple of weeks, the um, this International Space Station came over, didn't it? Orbiting around the world. I wonder if you've seen, I think it's Mercury, um, over in the west in the early evening. A really beautiful, bright star. It's just beautiful to look up at night. Well, Jesus, in the passage that we read today, uh, in, um, in the Lord's Prayer, he's talking about orbiting, in a way, but not the orbit of sun and stars and those kind of things, but talking about the orbit of our hearts of our lives and what is it that our hearts revolve around? You could maybe ask that question of yourself. What is your life orbit around? See, that's what prayer is actually getting at the heart of. That's what Jesus wants us to do when he teaches us to pray like this. He wants us to get our hearts into their true orbit. Maybe you haven't thought about prayer like that before. It's not usually the way we think of it, isn't it? We usually think of prayer as a kind of application process where, you know, if I've done the right things and then I say the right things at the right time in the right place and order, maybe God will give me what I want. And so we kind of put him into our orbit. It's as if I'm there at the centre and, and God is orbiting around me, giving me all the stuff that I would like. I mean, we maybe see that in in the times that we pray when we're going through difficult times or um, or the things that we pray about when we just pray for our own needs. But Jesus doesn't start this prayer with our own needs. We get to that later, and it's good to bring those to God. But he starts with three things. I wonder if you've spotted those. Your, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. You see, Jesus, at the beginning of prayer, wants us to fix our eyes on God, our heavenly Father. He wants to reorientate our hearts so that they're orbiting around truth. The truth that God is God. The truth that there is a God, that he made me and you, that he sustains us and gives us everything there is in human life and love and relationships and beauty and creativity and laughter and all of that, that he made you and that, and that he has a, a plan, that he sets the agenda, that he has a kingdom, that even though the world is turned away from him, he's rescued, he's brought people and that kingdom is growing and that kingdom is growing according to his will, that there is a will that is greater, that's better, that's fuller, uh, that there is a God who knows what he's doing. And, and Jesus wants us at the beginning of all of our prayers to orientate ourselves around that, to lift up our eyes and look to God and, and make our hearts orbit around the truth that God made us and has a will for the world that is far beyond better and bigger than our own will. See, it's not just believing that that kind of reorientates your heart, that gets your life uh, revolving around the sun that gives you warmth and life that is God. It's not just believing it, but it's praying it, it's putting it into action. That's what we do when we pray, isn't it? That we are saying, we're bowing our knees, we're bowing our hearts, we're bowing our heads, and we're saying, Lord God, you are God and I am not. Your kingdom come, not my kingdom. Your will be done and not my will, unless it's the same as your will. You see, what God wants from us as we um, reorientate our hearts is, is joyful acceptance. He wants us to say, your will be done in a kind of joyful, accepting way, not in a, like a resigned, oh, well, I suppose you're God, so I, I best better give in anyway. He wants us to praise 
and rejoice as we're saying your will be done because that's what happens in heaven I mean, that's what we read isn't it your will be done on earth as it is in heaven so what does it look like for God's will to be done well it looks like joy because that's what angels do we get all these little snippets in scripture just little fragments of what life is like for the angels and when it comes to God's will well they do it with joy they love it when when people come to know Jesus they, they hold huge parties for even just one soul one person who comes into God's kingdom and gets to know him for the first time they do God's will with great joy and they do it punctually as well they work hard and they work quickly and they work with great obedience they love to love what God loves that's what it's like in heaven and that's what we're praying it would be like on earth and in our hearts that we wouldn't just be resigning ourselves you know, because God is big and I'm tiny so I suppose I should give in but know that we would rejoice and what does that look like well it looks like praying big prayers doesn't it it looks like saying oh Lord would your will be done and would you grant that the church would just grow that this community of people who love you and love one another and love the world would grow and spread would you grant it that injustice injustice would wither would you make it so that our leaders would lead with with wisdom and peace and goodness would just echo through the land lord would you make it so that men and women in the world love one another and honor one another instead of use one another we're praying these kind of big prayers that's what it means that that we say your will be done and isn't it amazing as we do that, that, that we're getting in sync with God? I think a little bit like an old couple who've loved each other for years and years and years so much that they know each other so well that they can finish each other's sentences and they know what the other person's thinking or saying before they've even thought it or said it. They know how they react to a certain situation. They know what their will would be because they just know them so well. And that's what this prayer does. It brings us into line with God's will, helps us to get to know him and to bow our knees and say your will is better than mine would you make your will my will too but even better than all that then being in sync with God is that he actually uses these prayers I mean we might think oh well if God's will is going to happen anyway I mean he's God nobody can stop him so if his will is going to happen anyway what why does he want us to pray well there's this really intriguing story in Revelation, the last book in the Bible, full of all sorts of intriguing uh, metaphors and, and, um, and kind of crazy stories. Well, there's this really interesting story where the prayers of, of God's people, of Christians, are, are like incense rising up into God's presence. And God loves the smell of those prayers. He really delights in it. He, he's pleased when he hears his people pray. It's like a, a beautiful smell in his presence. And he collects those prayers. Those prayers are all collected up by the angels around him in these enormous bowls. And one day those bowls will be full. One day that last your will be done, prayer will be prayed. And the angels will collect it up. And then God says to them in the story, now go and pour out those prayers on the earth. And so they do. They pour out the prayers of all of God's people. And that's how those prayers are his means of working out his final purposes for good and beauty and, and justice to flourish through the whole of the world that his kingdom would come. It comes through our prayers. It's an amazing privilege to be able to say, your will be done, to be in sync with God, to be a part of him, even in our own small corner, to be a part of him, bringing his kingdom in all corners of the world. It's an amazing thing to get to pray, your will be done. But it's also a really hard thing, isn't it? It's a really 
difficult thing to pray. I think it's difficult in our culture. One reason is because we're just not in the habit of of not being in control. Um, we're really we like to. I don't know. Well, after you filled up the car, we like to go into the into the the garage and see a thousand different chocolate bars, so that my will for whatever snack I want can be done, and I can eat whatever it is that I want to. Or when it comes to school and education, we have an umpteen different things you can choose as your options for GCSEs and a load of different universities or colleges or career paths you could pick. And so we're, we're always selecting and doing and kind of shaping our lives according to our own choices so that my will would be done. Our culture just teaches us to be like that. We're in the habit of, of being in control. And so it's really not easy to lay that down, to say, OK, Lord, may your will be done. And maybe that's not going to be what I want, but still, may your will be done. It's not an easy thing to do until maybe the coronavirus has come along. I wonder if this time in isolation has kind of pricked that bubble where, where our lives have been much more controlled than they have been for a long time. And so, so that illusion of being in control of our, of our own lives has, has kind of disappeared. I wonder if instead there's another problem that's kind of been inflated. If that bubble's been popped, well, another one's come up in the way of trusting God and his plans and his will. And that's the problem of suffering. It's always been there, but I wonder if maybe especially at this time, when we look around at the world and we say, look, if there really is a God, do I really want his will to be done? If there really is a God who's, who's so in control of everything that he knows the number of hair on our heads, hairs on our head, that he, he knows the number of days and he's planned out the days of our lives. If, the, if there really is a God who's that in control of the world, do we really want him to be in control when the world is so full of suffering and pain as it is? Do we really want to pray your will be done? Might it not just be just simpler just to say, oh, there is no God and kind of write him off. But if we do that, um, just for a moment, it's worth thinking, what happens if you do that? If you say that there is no God, it's kind of easier to begin with, but actually much more complicated and difficult in the end, because what you say is, well, if there is no God, well, you've not got rid of suffering. You've just got rid of any hope that you had in suffering. And if you think about it even more deeply, you've actually got rid of any reason you have to say that suffering is wrong or bad or it shouldn't be there because this world is all that there's ever been. It's always been the strong surviving and the weak dying. But we don't want the world to be like that. We just know that that shouldn't be like that. We don't want the strong to live and the weak to die. We want everyone to live. And so it's, I think we should come back to see that there really is a God. I mean, this isn't a talk on the evidence for, uh, for God. If for that, maybe you could look up John Lennox, Google him afterwards, John Lennox, or Michael Otts, or Ravi Zacharias. Somebody like that can do a much better job of giving you extra evidence for God's existence. But let's just say that this God does exist. Could we really trust him? Is he really one who we could say, your will be done? Well, I think in order to get to that position, we really need to come and get to know him. And to do that, we need to come and get to know Jesus. We need to see Jesus at work. We need to meet him. So let me tell you a story. It's a story about a, a small family tragedy. Small in that it probably wouldn't have been reported on the news unless Jesus had been there. But really enormous, a huge tragedy for this family. It's the story of two sisters called Mary and Martha who lose their brother, Lazarus. They were really good friends of Jesus. And so when Lazarus got sick, Mary and Martha sent a message to Jesus. Jesus was far away at this time, so a message, the message took a while to get to him. 
And when it did, instead of turning around and kind of running to see his friend and do something, because remember at this point, Jesus has been healing people and doing wonderful things and, and, and amazing miracles. And he could easily sort the situation out, but he doesn't. Instead of running back to help out Lazarus, he stays where he is until Lazarus has died. He lets it all happen. It's almost as if he's planned it all out. And then he goes a few days later when he knows that Lazarus has died. He goes and he meets Martha in the graveyard. And the first thing she says to him is, Lord, if you, if you had been here, you could just hear the grief in her words. If you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. Where were you? Jesus, why were you so remote when I was praying to you? I mean, that's basically what they did, wasn't it? They sent a message to Jesus. That's what a prayer is. So why were you so remote? I mean, do you really love us? Do you really have power to do anything? Because, I mean, surely you could have done Jesus if you had just been here. But why were you not here? And Jesus sits down with her and teaches her. He says, your brother will rise again as in he'll come back from the dead. And she says, yeah, I know that'll happen you know, at the end of time. He says, no, 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 you need to realize I am the resurrection and the life. And in a few moments time, he's gonna raise Lazarus from the dead. She's gonna see him again, but he's got even better news than that. He's come to say, to help them really feel and to understand this, that I am, Jesus says, the resurrection and the life, that whoever believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. That's what he says to her. He's teaching her something beautiful. He's teaching a life-giving truth. Um, Martha um, gets to meet Jesus and hear that wonderful, um, wonderful news that if you know Jesus, if you're trusting him, if you kind of wait your whole life onto him, that you'll live. Even though you die, there's life beyond the grave. I mean, physical life where you'll be you and I'll be me and, and there'll be recognizable as brothers and sisters and we'll love one another that there's life beyond this life if you're trusting in Jesus it's something that she would never have guessed that we could never have guessed it's mind-blowing truth that Jesus helps them to not just kind of believe and, and see but to really understand as Lazarus comes back from the dead and then the other sister arrives Martha's been taught by Jesus through this and Mary she comes weeping and she has exactly the same words on her lips. She says, Jesus, if you had only been here, if you had only been here. And she's weeping. And what does Jesus do? Well, he doesn't sit her down for a theology lesson. Jesus weeps with her. Jesus comforts her. So what is going on? You have this Jesus here. He's in control over everything. He knows what he's doing. And he does something completely inexplicable. It seems like he causes more pain than, than is necessary. It seems, I mean, even through all of that pain, he's remote and far away. It doesn't, I mean, does he really love us? Does he even have any power? To, all these big questions are spinning around their minds and ours. And why would he do it like this? Can you really trust him? But think about what the sisters do. See, if the sisters had turned their backs and said, get away, Jesus, we don't want you. We're not interested in you. If they turned their backs, then they would never have known that wonderful truth about the resurrection. They would never have had that hope. They would never have been comforted by God himself. You see, I think Martha knows that in the beginning. This is the rest of what she says. She said, Jesus, if you'd been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus says, 
do you trust me to her? And she says, yes, I believe that you are the Lord. You are the Christ, the son of God who's come into the world. You see, Martha doesn't run a mile. Neither does Mary. She turns around and she says, Jesus, I have no idea what you're doing, but your will be done. I know you. I trust you. I'll leave it in your hands. May your will be done. And because of that humility, because she comes and trusts Jesus, even when she doesn't know what's going on, she learns truth that you would just never imagine. And it gets taught to us as well through this whole story. And there's comfort. They learn something and there's amazing comfort. God weeps with them. So whatever our big questions are, whether you're a Martha who loves to think things through, whether you're a Mary who just is weeping at the moment, bring all of those struggles, bring those griefs, bring those questions to Jesus. Bring them to him and let him comfort you. We might have those questions and say, well, it just still doesn't make any sense to me, but it's, you know, I can't get my head around it. But it's worth remembering that a God who is, a God who is small enough for us to wrap our heads around is never going to be big enough to wrap his arms around us. We don't want a God who we can wrap our heads around. No, we want a God who is in control. We want a God who can teach us through suffering. We want a God who can comfort us, who weeps tears with us, and who wipes tears away and has a plan to make everything sad come untrue. Lazarus in his story is a great picture of that. So whatever your questions and doubts, follow Mary and Martha's footsteps and bring them to Jesus. But maybe you're still struggling. Maybe you need to go a little bit deeper and see that Jesus really is worthy of trust, that it wasn't just, you know, for Mary and Martha and, and Lazarus back in, in their days, but it's for us too. Well, there's good news. There's even more to it when it comes to Jesus. See, Jesus doesn't just tell us to do stuff. No, he doesn't tell us to do anything that he isn't willing to and uh, hasn't done himself. So when Jesus says, thy will be done, something that he prayed himself, not just something that he gets us or wants us to pray. He says, thy will be done to his own father, to God. He said it on one particular night, the night before he died, he went to a garden and he was praying there with the disciples and he began to be in such stress. He began to feel such horror and anguish that he started sweating blood. Why? Because he knew what he was facing. He knew that the next day he would go to his death and he would be spun out of God's orbit, that he would be cut off. He'd be far away. He would experience separation from, from his father, such that he had never experienced I mean, we've kind of got used to that, you know, living far away from God. But Jesus always did the will of God. He was always close to him. And Jesus knew what it was about, what was about to come to him the next day. It was almost as if that day was creeping into this evening beforehand, that he was feeling the anguish of being far away from his father. And so he begins to sweat drops of blood. And then he prays these words. He says, Lord, would you take this cup, this cup of suffering that I have to drink? Would you take it away from me? But not my will be done but your will. He prayed that three times. Not my will be done, but your will. Not my will be done, but your will. Jesus wasn't looking forward to going to the cross, at least not physically speaking, because the next day he would go and he would die, and not just a physical death, but a spiritual one too, where he took all of our betrayal, all of our turning our backs on God, all of our sins, all of our, all of our failures, all of our dirt, all of our shame. He would take it all on his own shoulders. And in darkness, as the world shook, he would cry out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus cried out those words 
so that you would never have to. You see, if Jesus hadn't prayed the night before, may your will be done, then he would have never have gone to the cross. It would never have happened. We would be left spinning out of God's orbit in the cool of space, spinning out to die forever away from God's presence. Did you see when Jesus prays that I will be done? It's not it's for our good. When he tells us to pray, thy will be done. He's not on some power trip. He's not asking you to do anything he hasn't done himself. When he says, pray, thy will be done, he's inviting you to be a part of God's will for the world. He's inviting you to know God as your father. He's inviting you to be in sync, to be close to God and so tied up within it, with him that what he loves, you love. That you'd be a part of his will for the world. It's really good news that Jesus asks us and invites us and commands us to say, your will be done. I wonder if you'll do that today. I wonder if you'll stop wrestling with God. Stop trying to wrestle control out of his hands and let him, as you kneel in prayer, pull you back into his orbit and give you life. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank you so much for this good news. It can be hard news, especially at first hearing. Lord, it can feel like death. But Lord, we thank you for Jesus, who went to the cross, who became nothing so that we could be lifted up, who died so that we could know life, who was forsaken so that we could be welcomed. Lord Jesus, we thank you for the cross. We thank you that you prayed that night in the garden, that, that your Father's will would be done. And Lord, we pray that you would give us the strength to stop wrestling with you, to stop trying to control our own lives, Lord, to stop getting ourselves tied in knots as we try to make everything revolve around us. Lord, would you forgive us for that? And would you help us instead to turn to you, that we might have our lives revolve around truth, around you, around your love and your goodness. Father, you're such a good and warm and loving and life-giving God. Help us to bow the knee to you and to submit to you and to know the life that comes from that, we pray. Amen. Amen.